0: liberty forum friday uh, february 22nd 2013 and with me is the man who basically uh, we can give credit for this chris lawless how you doing ben Hi, Chris. Thanks for uh, doing a quick bit with me here. Uh, what is it that's going on this year at Liberty Forum?
1: Um, so this is the 6th Annual Liberty Forum, um, and basically it's the we call it the opposite of Fest. It's a way to get people to come visit New Hampshire in the wintertime, because we want to tell people there's a winter here, and instead of a campground, we have it, of course, indoors because it is winter, and we want people to experience the community, the weather, check out New Hampshire, all the things they experience at Porkfest just at a different time of year to get people excited about all the things we're doing here in New Hampshire.
0: And we're at the uh, Crown Plaza Hotel in Nashua, and this place is nice. It's a very nice hotel. They treat you really nice. How have they been with with hosting?
1: uh? Um, It's it's fantastic. We've been here for four years now. Mm. This will be our fifth year here. We did it once here somewhere else. Um, They're always accommodating. They're always willing to change things for us, help us out. So it's fantastic the way they work with us. They always actually request that we come back here, which is always a good sign. That means our guests are well-behaved, we're well-behaved. We bring the money they give us good hosts i mean it's great capitalism right it's great exchange of returns
0: you mentioned uh, contrasting it to pork fest and i was at pork fest 2012 and this has a lot of the same flavor as far as you know you see a lot of the same faces and there's a certain feeling of liberty here but it's a, a, a it's a bit more formal. We don't have hippies uh, camping in the middle of the <laughs> of the lobby. Yeah, it, it,
1: it, it's kind of funny because some people always say I always want a chance to dress up. So this is their chance to dress up. But I think you're right. It's the same feeling. I, I always feel the electricity. Like I'm in all these this room with area, and 90 percent of the stuff we agree on. There's mm-hmm. no debating the whole libertarianism, and that is I think is important. It's it's a common spirit that we all share, and I think you come away from this week rejuvenated.
0: Well, Chris, thanks for talking to me, and I'll be seeing you around here, and we'll probably get you on the microphone again sometime. All right, thank you. Thanks a lot, Chris. And Ian Freeman is busily sitting up his table. I'm not going to bother him to talk. I'll just let the mic run while I walk around and hassle him. He, uh, I was going to talk with him before I was talking to Chris, and then I saw Chris, so I made a joke that somebody, uh, a peon like Ian, has to step aside so that we can let a, a real celebrity. Oh, Ian. I'm happy to take time now. <laughs> Ian, uh, welcome to badquaker.com. And thanks for uh, doing everything you do up here in the Free State Project as we're crashing things in yeah. the background. What do you want to
2: tell the Bad Quaker audience? Well, um, should I get close? Because it picks up pretty good. Okay, great. Um, I would say that. You should be here because if you love freedom, then this is the place where you want to be because there's hundreds of people here, and it kind of gives you a good taste of what it might be like to live in New Hampshire full time where you have so much activism that you can't choose. And that'll be there will be a little bit of that here this weekend because there's always multiple, you know, uh, speeches or panels going on at once, so you can only be one place uh... luckily there are people here with video cameras so you might be able to catch something later on that you weren't able to go to but that's one of the problems in new hampshire is there's just so much activism to do uh... You, you've got to really be careful you know which one do you want to spend your time on and that's what happens when you bring hundreds of activists together to the same place and that's what we're doing here this weekend and that's what we have every day in new hampshire
0: i think one of the really magical things you guys have up here is that you run this wide spectrum Everything from like what to, what this is a, f- a fairly formal event um, that still has a homey feeling to it, but it's still fairly formal at the same time. All the way to the complete wildness of pork fest, you know, uh, and, and the and the activism in New Hampshire is a lot the same way. You've got people who just quietly do their own thing, have their own little agris farm or whatever, yep. all the way to the you know the most radical people who are getting themselves arrested and chalking police stations and. Yeah,
2: in fact, uh, Derek J. will be here later on today. He'll be showing up this afternoon, so I hope you get a chance to interview him. I'm sure he would love to, uh, to talk to you.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think his movie is screening tonight, isn't That's it? That's
2: right. Yep, after 10 o'clock tonight. It's going to be good.
0: Uh, what's the full name of his movie? Derek
2: J.'s Victimless Crime Spree. You can go ah. to victimlesscrimespree.com and watch it for free.
0: And it was excellently edited and very Deleted. well professionally good. done. Thank you. Okay, Ian, I'll let you get back to work. Thanks no a lot problem. for talking to good me. Good morning. Uh, With me right now is Jeffrey Tucker. We're at uh, 2013 uh, New Hampshire Liberty Forum. And Jeffrey, this is a gift from badquaker.com, Freedom Fiends uh, podcast, and the Anarchy Gumbo podcast. And you are one of the hip-happening characters in in the liberty movement, so I know that you're you're really a fan of... uh, buttons, because all yeah. the all the happening kids love the that's buttons. It. Well,
3: I like this this one with the picture of you on there. Maybe I'll stick that on my lapel right now. I mean, that's that's really fantastic. I like it. Um, I've always wanted to ask you this: What does it mean to say a bad Quaker? Everybody asks you that all the time, right?
0: Yeah, quite a bit.
1: Does I
3: mean, uh, it mean you're a Quaker or you're a bad Quaker? I mean, or is there any good Quakers that you know? Or what's how does this work?
0: It's kind of debatable. Most Quakers lean towards socialism. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And Quakers, a good Quaker is a pacifist, a complete yeah, sure, pacifist. Sure. And I do believe in self-defense, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I'm not at all a socialist. Okay. So right. I can't really consider myself a very good Quaker. Okay. So, And, and you know. <laughs>
3: so I wondered if it was like Catholics. You know, there's no such thing as really as a good Catholic, actually. Mm. You know, and, and that's part of the idea, mm-hmm. actually, of Catholicism, that we're all sort of bad Catholics. So that's why Catholicism exists to kind of, you know, uh, allow us to nonetheless live good lives, you know, even though we're mm-hmm. not bad, you know. So I wondered if it was the same thing in the Quaker world, you. you know, with some like that?
0: It, in my mind, that probably better describes my thoughts, okay. <laughs> but I doubt that other Quakers would go for that. You know. okay.
3: uh, your podcast is very popular. People really like it, and the reason is because you're a fair viewer. Oh, thank you. And, and you let your guests uh, talk, you which know, mm-hmm. is just, just a, a rare thing, actually.
0: <laughs> well, if I got the opportunity, I wanted to ask you about uh, your love
3: of chant. Oh sure, 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 sure. Well, it's funny actually. Um, you know that next year, Porkfest Fest is mm-hmm. taking place at the very time I'm going to be at a colloquium, actually in Salt Lake, where I'm I'm am giving lectures on chant. Um, so I'm I, I direct a polyphonic choir that also sings chant. I'm myself not a director of chant because I don't have the level of precision that that I should have in order to accomplish the right level of sound, but I do direct polyphony and I love chant and I don't write about chant. I'm the managing editor of a journal called Sacred Music actually. But listen, um, people say, well, what the heck is the relationship there, you know, with radical anarchist politics and Gregorian chant? But <clears throat> So, um, just in brief, um, the point is that Gregorian chant is an art form that began in the first millennium, you know, I mean, it really traces to the ancient world, but it achieves its full development in the seventh century. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, it's a it's an art form that, that has point outlasted point every yet? state. I mean, there's no state I mean, that's as old I mean, as chant. Okay. And, and so I think its existence and its persistence right. and its beauty this illustrates this like it's the possibility of, bit, of organizing humanity of independent of any uh, nation state.
4: Game I mean, I mean that down. one little song
3: you know, All it right. embodies oh, a okay. kind of uh, uh, beauty that that lasts over generations and persists without any human design, mm. really. Without anyone really intending it either. It's just transmitted through, through tradition, you right. know? So it's a kind of an anarchist institution in itself. Just that one little song. And it's extraordinary if you think about it, that I can stand here and sing something that was very much like what it was sung like in the 5th, 6th, 7th centuries. And that this information has been transmitted down through the ages. And despite all the wars and all the revolutions and the upheavals and the demographic migrations and everything, I still have this one little song. That's like a miracle. And I think humanity is and knowledge itself is... these these are kind of this way, you know, and it, it shows us where we should direct our minds and our hearts, you know, to the things that, that are lasting, that are independent of the state, independent of the nation, independent of a single generation, you know, the things that, that grow and develop and, and, uh, are transmitted through, through human action over, right. mm-hmm. over the, over, the mm-hmm. over several millennia, you know? Yeah. So that, that's, I think the relationship. That's beautiful. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I always see, uh, I say this pretty often, but I I see music as the perfect expression of anarchism because you can't top-down manage music. The president can't sign an order and say write a, a, a beautiful right. song. It, right. it doesn't happen that way. It happens spontaneously yeah. out of yeah. voluntary action.
3: No, that's right. And Gregorian chant is, of course, the oldest form of folk music, actually. Um, people think of chant as emerging from castles and monasteries and princes. It's, it's wrong.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, what it was is that an attempt to convey stories in a, in a pre-literate culture, you know, mm-hmm. in a time when you know people couldn't, books weren't around. I mean, people forget this stuff. We didn't even have like iPhones back in the 6th century. <laughs> So, so there had to be some way to communicate and mm-hmm. to tell stories to people in ways that they could remember. So you add sort of evocative music to a text, and then it, it impresses people uh, more. It's a form of entertainment, but more importantly, it's a form of kind of teaching mm-hmm. that took place. Yeah, and 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 you can see it in the melodies themselves, how the melodies reflect the text. The, the text. So there's a utility uh, to it also. You know,
0: yeah. Well, Jeffrey, I really appreciate you taking time. I know you're really busy. Yeah. You're just getting ready to start your... Uh, you're actually beginning the yeah, festivities here. I'm opening
3: the here. conference here. I'm opening the conference here. I'm excited to be here. Last year, uh, to come here at this event was a revelation. Were you here last year?
0: No, I missed it last year. Okay,
3: so it was a shock to me because... Um, I saw it sort of embodied in this movement and these people, mm-hmm. um, ideals that I've been working for for so long, and to you know stand and see it all happening all around me was quite exciting. Yeah. So to come back, again, for me, is a real homecoming you know, in many in many ways. So I'm excited to be here.
0: I, I should, before I let you go, uh, I promised uh, Stephen Kinsella that I would say hi to, to you from him. He said, <laughs> be sure and tell my but friend Jeff. I just
3: Jeff talked to, to him a few minutes ago, you know. <laughs> Uh, it's, uh, we, we had a, we had our morning conversation, which we always do, to, 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 to pass on the newest revelations. That's that's what Stefan and I always do. So, uh, he's my well, he's my philosopher king. <laughs> thanks
0: very much for coming on the show with me, Jeffrey. Okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> try it again. With me today is Taryn Lupo. I'm at the uh, New Hampshire Liberty Forum for 2013. And this is Friday of the forum. I just got through talking to Jeffrey Tucker and Taryn walked up. So, Taryn, welcome to BadQuaker.com.
2: Hey, it's thrilled to be here and meet you in person again, sort of. Yeah, well, sort of. <laughs> Fort Best, that's all glimpses.
0: Yeah. Um, so, uh, tell me about your, what, you, what, you, what are you talking about today at the, on the forum? Today
2: I'm talking about self-publishing and activism. How, if you're an activist, you really should consider writing fiction or... At least self-publishing your own stuff. It's much more effective than just running around the streets with signs and protesting.
0: And uh, your latest book, uh, The Name Escapes Me, it's about swing.
2: Oh, yeah. If It Ain't Got That Swing is a short story novella. It just came out about Nazi Germany, uh, Swing Time Era, where it was a legal swing dance. It's a romance based around that. And, um, of course, there's a lot of liberty themes in it.
0: Of course, if it, if you've written it, it's going to help. Yeah, it's uh. Well, I I look forward to reading it. I've got it downloaded already, but I haven't actually read it yet. So I look forward to that. Fantastic. Um, I'll let you get going. I know we're about to start with the festivities but here. So oh, wanted, go ahead. I
2: want to say hi to <laughs> to Michael and, and his cats. Oh yeah, Michael. And Mr. Kitty Yeah. He'll <laughs> like that.
0: Well, Taryn, thanks for thanks. taking a moment to talk to us.
2: All right, thanks, Ben.
0: Hi, this is Ben Stone, the Bad Quaker from BadQuaker.com. I listen to the Freedom Fiends live Sunday night on the Liberty Radio Network. That's Lrn.fM And you can hear the Freedom Fiends 24-7 on their streaming feed at FreedomFiends.com. That's F-R-E-E-D-O-M-F-E-E-N-S dot com. Do you have an Amazon account? If you don't, let me encourage you to set one up. Setting up an account is free and it's easy. And Amazon has great prices and in most cases you can avoid paying sales tax. Plus, if you're careful and lump your purchases together, you can get free shipping. And Amazon has almost anything you can think of. Plus, it's safer and cheaper than driving all over town. When you buy stuff, if you follow the Amazon link at badquaker.com, Amazon will give Bad Quaker a tiny portion of the purchase. It won't cost you any extra, but you'll be supporting this podcast. Thank you. Okay, this has been Stoneback with BadQuaker.com. Today is Friday, the 22nd of February, and we're at the Liberty Forum in New Hampshire, uh, 2013 Liberty Forum. And with me is Kevin McKernan. Uh, Kevin is the best I I already joked and said this off error, but the best I can describe Kevin is he's a super genius kind of science guy that does a bunch of magic stuff. So Kevin, tell the folks who you are, what you do, and a little bit about yourself.
4: So I've uh, been working in the field of genomics, and uh, we've been building DNA sequencers over time to sequence human genomes, hopefully for thousands of dollars, if not less. Um, I've put some of that effort uh, sequencing the cannabis genome as well, and, uh, and uh, I just wanted to share with Ben some the experiences that we've been having as you go through sequencing genomes. There's a tendency for many people to want to patent these things, and becoming a, a libertarian or an anarcho-capitalist lately, I am questioning whether that's a good idea. So that's, uh, that's kind of my background.
0: On some of the uh, uh, on some of the cannabis work that you've done, you haven't been able to do that in the U.S. Uh, you've had to basically flee the country just to do science. Not you're not you're not out there toking up, getting high or whatever. This no, is this is no. actual science. This is
4: uh, there's a wealth of pharmaceutical value inside that plant. Uh, the cannabinoids are they going to play a role in curing cancer. There's no doubt in my mind they will play some role there. Uh, but yes, I had a fleet of country. We set up a lab in Amsterdam. In fact, um, the lab was a hotel room, and that made for a very interesting set of experiments. We had to design how we could purify DNA from a plant we'd never purified DNA from before in a remote country with tools that would work in a hotel room, like coffee pots and magnets and you know ethanol, it was uh, it was one of the hardest experiments to do. because You had to think of everything in advance, and half the things broke, and we had to fix those kind of on the fly. But yeah, doing that work here, um, one could gamble and do it here, but you're always at the risk of kind of the federal boot coming to lock you up for it. And uh, hearing after hearing Mark Mark Emery's story, I didn't want any piece of that.
0: Yeah. Uh and actually they would probably not even go in the direction of calling it marijuana or whatever. They would think you were doing a, a, a meth lab. They would, in and fact. I, for a while, was
4: testing some of these things in my garage, not not with any cannabis material, but trying to understand what it would take to emulate a laboratory in a hotel room in my garage, and it's exactly what my neighbors said when they saw it. "This looks like a meth lab. Yeah. And it has, uh, you know, scientifically, that's not actually true. I mean, we don't do any organic extraction or anything. There aren't types of... Um, uh, a fume hoods that you might have volatile compounds in a meth lab but to an ignorant mm-hmm. police officer they would assume the worst Yeah, and they'd think it's a meth lab so I immediately broke down the lab the next day after they said that and, and got rid of all the stuff
0: yeah because their methods are not to come up and send an investigator and knock on the door and say can I take a look at this Their method is not to even go to a judge and say, can we get a warrant and look at this? Their method is to send in a team and... Extract
4: value.
0: Exactly. Let's pause for a second while people walk by. We're at the uh, Crown Hotel Plaza. Crown Hotel. That's
1: right, yeah. Crown
0: Plaza Hotel. Crown Plaza Plaza Hotel. Hotel. That's what it's called in, um, in Nashua, New Hampshire. And so we're actually recording this in a, uh, in a stairway to try to get away oh, from the noise a windowless stairway, a windowless stairway. you know in, a, in the right kind of a disaster this would be a bunker this would be where you'd run for a disaster yeah. like a tornado or whatever <laughs> so hopefully
4: that's not a foreshadowing <laughs> anything to come
0: but it but, but we needed a quiet spot because I've been uh, as we sew all these interviews together, some of them are going to be really noisy, but that's okay because we're like on the floor out there yelling with Jeffrey Tucker and stuff. But this is a fairly important well, I, I'm not saying the other interviews are not important, but this is this could really change the way people live. you know if you can, if you can fight cancer in a new way, That's successful. Yes. That doesn't that doesn't involve taking people and basically trying to cook them alive, you know, and hopefully you can kill the cancer before you kill the person. That's the current method. That's the current
4: method. You thread the needle between death of the patient and death of the cancer. Yeah. And it's absolutely barbaric and the methods that they use aren't necessarily even clinically proven there 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 are exemptions in the FDA regulation not that I'm suggesting we get any more of that involved but there are exemptions for terminal diseases like this which I think is the right thing to do but you will find cases of regulatory capture that go on where people will push cancer drugs that show no higher efficacy than just letting them be yeah and and that gets promoted through the healthcare system and uh, and reimbursed so um, the thing with the, the cannabinoids is their safety profile. The, these are not cooking people. Mm. Despite any Reagan esque frying of eggs in a pan, this stuff is an antioxidant. It's incredibly good for you. Um, there are forms of it that are not psychoactive. People don't like that aspect of it. Um, and they're proving to be uh, incredibly valuable compounds to people's health. Now, we know only the tip of the iceberg of these things because it's very difficult to study them.
0: And against the law in the United States. Yes, yeah. All right, um, back with Kevin McKernan uh, at the Liberty Forum 2013. Um, we had a malfunction, dead batteries, and I have no idea at what point the last part of the conversation ended. So we're just going to take up on the topic of IP, of intellectual property, and uh, and we'll just go from there, and and I'll try to sew this together as best as I can. So Kevin. Tell me how researching the genome and all the uh, research with cannabis relates to intellectual property laws.
4: So the, the main way it relates is that if you do any form of biotech um, entrepreneurship here in the United States, uh, you're invariably taking other people's money and putting it to use. So suddenly the state infrastructure of law comes to play. And it's almost impossible to start a biotech company without IP, and, and that's a real challenge. In fact, that's the next like, mission in my life is to try and figure out how to do that. Um, however, uh, if anyone were to look up my name, you'd see I have lots of patents, so what I'm about to say is gonna look as if I'm a complete hypocrite, but that is because it wasn't until I started sequencing the cannabis genome that I, that I started to, did my eyes open up to concepts of freedom because I could see clearly what a mess uh, this whole field was and, what it, and the root cause of it is clearly uh, this, this belief that regulations will make us safer, this belief that centralized decision making is going to actually stimulate the economy. That's exactly the opposite. Um, and so I'm no longer a believer in IP despite the fact that you'll find lots, lots of patents in my name. And how this relates to the cannabis genome is that when we were considering how to keep that genome free and open source, we had to consider IP. Um, as oddly as that sounds, you would think you just publish it, put it on the Internet, and it's free forever. Uh, that turns out to not necessarily be the case, and the reason being is that the USPTO who grants these patent rights has the responsibility, and does a very important job of this responsibility, of searching for novelty on patents. So frequently what happens is they miss prior art, and they issue all these patents and then get fought out in court later. Um, so this is a, this has been a real challenge to us. So What we did when we sequenced the, the cannabis genome was we gave it away and put it on the internet for free, put it on the Amazon cloud. Now I've got no guarantee that Amazon will call me tomorrow saying some fed goons said take it down and then it's no longer out there. And in the next three to six months, the, the sort of Kurtzweilian um, information I've been hearing is that the human species is going to generate more data than they've ever generated in their existence. <laughs> and so you can imagine some centralized post office-like facility trying to search the space for novelty. Go ahead. Was, I'm sorry. That's okay. That's no problem. <laughs> uh, Got jobs to do. <laughs> yeah. So, some uh, you know trying to search this. Vastly expanding space of creativity for novelty is going to always fail, and so they're, they're going to resort to issuing patents that are bogus, and then people are going to have to spend time in court fighting these things out for novelty. So we've had to consider what, is, and given that that reality, what do we do? And this is where I've been really uh, kind of conflicted in my own head as I've started to read about um, about freedom, is that. Do you actually play their game and use the tools of government to protect you from the government? And um, So what, what we did may not may not shake out to be like morally the right thing to do, but we actually took the genome, filed a patent on it, and then are abandoning the patent. So that it is in the USPTO's database registry. When they do priority searches for this, they can't miss it. It's dead in front of them. There's no excuse for them to say, we didn't find it. Uh, with the patent being abandoned that means no one else can patent that and no one else can go and sell it to someone else who might abuse it. Uh, and that's kind of where we left off, but I'd have to say that our thought process on doing that uh, kind of evolved over time, as my thought process me. Also evolving as to what's the right thing, what's the responsible thing to do with this? So that was one of my interests in speaking with someone like Isella, is that he's clearly thought through a lot of these things clearly throughout time. Mm-hmm. Now, my personal belief is I don't think genes should ever be patented, because I don't think they're actually a novel act. In fact, I don't even believe that I Watch out. Go ahead. ...has, uh, has any merit, that it's, it's, a, it's a form of a property... You
0: might want to come over here so we don't get hit with the door. Yeah. Uh, so
4: it's it's uh, a form of property that one shared is truly shared. Yeah. And uh, if you want to maintain any... Um, ATP that you have committed to create a, a mental piece of property. The way to maintain that is to not share it. Is not to turn around and and, uh, and try to have some type of capture after you've shared it because you haven't. No one's actually stolen it once you've mm-hmm. shared it. You still have it. Yeah. Uh, and so that that that's kind of led me back looking to this other conundrum on the human genome project. Um, and I worked on that as well. And there's a great history there of the government funded labs racing the private labs are going to patent up all the genome and um, the private labs succeeded. They they got 4,700 gene patents that are now out there. So I'm in this position of being a clinical sequencing facility where I want to sequence sick children, and I have to stop, slow down, and figure out if I'm stepping on 4,700 different patents. And for anyone who's been in the biotech space, searching 4,700 patents is not cheap. I mean, just for us to get one freedom to operate opinion letter from an attorney, which is an attorney who sits down and says, we look at what you're doing. We're looking at this one patent, um, and we're going to give you write you a letter saying you're free to operate or not. That can cost you ten to twenty thousand dollars. Wow! You, you multiply that by forty-seven hundred, and you're bankrupt. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this has led me into another international journey, which is I'm going to go to Iceland. Because <laughs> Iceland, no one files in because there's a translation fee that costs you like $10,000 to translate into Viking or whatever their, their Icelandic language <laughs> is. And that has led to it being a, an intellectual property haven in some respects. Uh happens there's good people. and There's a lot of other nice aspects of Iceland with their current um, currency situation. Uh, that makes for a great place to go. Uh, and perform sequencing And, and fortunately there's a loophole where you can actually violate other people's IP over there their methods, patents, and import the data, and that is not considered a violation of U.S. patent laws. It's a, it's a term, uh, uh, a case called Bayer versus Halsey, and there's one from Research in Motion as well, where some IP was being sent around through emails. They're, you know, the Research in Motion was a BlackBerry company, right? Mm-hmm. They violated some patents of Motorola, I think, and you uh, know, wasn't Motorola it was another entity? But uh, Research in Motion was certainly the um, uh, the one who was defended in that case, and they had methods for formulating packets, but since they were emailing them internationally, the Supreme Court deemed that that's in fact um, not a violation of the actual methods patents in Canada. Hmm. So there's a case law now is that you can move information across borders uh, regardless of the (coughs) patents you violated in foreign countries if if no one has filed in those actual foreign countries. So this is a long-winded way of saying it's a mess.
0: (laughs) I think it's fascinating that uh, you know, all those years ago, what uh, can't do the math? All of a sudden, well, about uh, about a thousand years ago, Vikings literally went to Iceland to get away from government. They did.
4: It was it was a freedom search.
0: Yeah, yeah. and and now uh, and, and they didn't want to get away from civil, civilization or rules or living peaceably. You know, they had a form of voluntary government. Um, it just wasn't a king telling everybody what to do. They, right, they sought right. you know individual freedom. I remember hearing
4: Castridge as well in Ireland. That was very similar. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So now here we are a thousand years later, and in order for you to do basic research that could really, really help people, you have to flee to Iceland to yes. do it. That, amazing.
4: It's a beautiful country. <laughs> I would love to go to Iceland. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I can't complain about that, but it does make me reflect upon this patent thicket where... You know, the, these were invented as a tool of the government to separate the gap that was readily and obvious occur, occurring between large um, institutions and small ones. The, the, it was clear large ones could get regulatory capture. So the patent was throwing a line, a, a sort of a bridge over this regulatory thicket for the small entrepreneur to perhaps... Uh, jump up a few ladders in the run, and the reality, as always with government, is you get exactly the opposite, which is, you no, know, the big companies know how to hire lawyers and they can afford all this mumbo-jumbo, and the small companies can't, and so um, I've actually spent the last six months trying to um, avoid having to do this type of ice thing, so um, we, we started developing methods in the lab that instead of, most, so most of that, to wind up a little bit here, most of the gene patent saying this is they don't have a patent on your gene, like the gene in your body. They have a patent on the method of copying that gene out of your DNA, okay? Mm-hmm. And uh, in that process, the Supreme Court is going to revisit, but it's looking like it's going to be upheld that the act of that DNA isolation is what is deemed to be novel. It's uh, almost like purifying adrenaline is deemed to be novel because you cleaned it from all of junk. There's a Park Davis reference in the whole trial. But the, this purification of DNA um, has to purify a piece of DNA that matches a particular sequence, I think. Mm -hmm. A, T, C, and G, so what we developed were a bunch of methods that used more than four letters, that used five letters, Uh, and uh, that the sequencer would just be blind to that fifth letter, but in the act of isolating DNA, we wouldn't have four letters, we'd have five, and we wouldn't match any of the junk in the databases, patent databases, and that we have attorneys looking, at. they think that's going to perhaps protect us domestically a little bit, Mm -hmm. but we don't know for certain, because they can't search all 4,700 gene patents. It's one of these archaic databases that... um, If you want to say, is this gene patented, there's a couple steps you have to go through. For one, uh, there's a famous saying that, like, biologists would rather share a toothbrush than the gene name. Okay, so everyone named genes their own pet name. And over time, there's multiple names for these genes in the database. So when you try to search, am I violating any patents, it becomes a little tricky to do it with human language. You have to do it with the letters of the actual sequence. Mm-hmm. And the USPTO didn't figure that out. They haven't set the databases up to search that way. You have to go off of the human language label of these things. and So that makes another big mess. Um, but uh, domestically, there's probably some methods that we can use that will get us out of, I you don't know, 50%. But it's an unsearchable kind of answer for a small company like ours. So our, our safest bet is have... Scapegoat to Iceland, hmm. and and work in uh, develop a lab over there so that we can readily uh, sequence uh, children's DNA. So the company I'm working with is called Cortigen Life Sciences, and we do mostly pediatric neurology, so epilepsy and mitochondrial disease. And these are usually um, children that have cost the healthcare system $100 to $200,000 a year because they're, they're they're diagnostic odysseys. No one really knows what they have,
3: mm-hmm.
4: uh, and they're going through MRIs and CAT scans and all its expenses building up on our medical care system. Um, and it, we've shown now that when you sequence their genome, you can usually find the smoking gun mutation in 30% of the cases, and probably 10% of them are treatable. And that we have a few kids that have been bedridden for nine years or now at school that wow. have been doing this type of stuff and. And we're now looking back on that work being like, wow, we, we could have stepped on, I don't know how many gene patents we stepped on, because we never really were able to search our 1,200 genes that we sequence against the mm. all 20,000 that are out there and the 4,700 that are potentially patented. So it is a tremendous um, deterrent to progress and to entrepreneurship and to to just freedom of, of sharing and discovering information. And that word has to get out because so much of the American economy and what's spoken about, I think, in the the mainstream media is that patents are great. You know, you need patents. You have to Mm -hmm. protect the small of The patent. The patents. You know, it's it's the whole source of entrepreneurship. And the reality is, it's exactly the opposite. It's a train wreck. Mm -hmm. And and they should abolish the whole thing.
0: If you don't mind, um, let me uh, let me ask you about um, food. the, the so-called uh, Franken food. And, oh yes, yeah. Let me let me get your take on that because I think uh, I think there's a ton of misinformation in both directions to a certain extent, but there are a lot of people making money off of the fear alone without having any real uh, science to back what they're talking. Yeah, about.
4: Yeah, so I'll qualify that saying. I I'm well read in genomics. I'm not. Um, I don't want to misrepresent any sort of theories on Monsanto here. Not, ha- I've not really read deeply into BT corn, and, and mm-hmm. if that's us really harmful and inflammatory as some people claim it is. Um, but I will weigh in when people try to label it as Franken, because mm-hmm. I think the Franken thing is a mislabel. It's almost like saying guns are bad. It's like, no, a gun is an object, and, and the use of genetic modifying technology is an object. You can use it for good or for bad, and mm-hmm. one could argue Monsanto's used it for bad because of their regulatory capture in the FDA. But um, the, the, the real science behind this is that it is not non-natural for us to modify DNA. I mean, the fact is, you look at plant species, you look at any of the species out there; they are exchanging DNA at such a hurricane speed that the best that we can be doing is putting up a windmill in that thing with this technology. We are simply guiding it. You know, we are not God, mm-hmm. uh, as people would say. This is. Uh, uh, that's a misnomer. DNA is incredibly plastic. It's moving around in your cells. Even your own trillions of cells that you have are not the same genome. And in your brain, there are these things called jumping dream, genes, called transposons. They're hopping around. Your genome's changing in your neurons all the time. It's just a, it's a wild and fascinating thing that's going on. So to be like, oh, we put one gene here in this plant, and so therefore we violated some natural law is just false. The, the real natural law is that DNA is going to write messages very quickly, as fast as it can, and it's going to try to do them with a little bit of error. And I think that's uh, a good lesson for Liberty, is that you do not see DNA having secrets. You you, You see it trying to propagate information as quickly as it possible can. And the reason it wants a little bit of error is it wants experiments. It wants someone to make a better version of it. And that's kind of the way I look at ideas and intellectual property, is if we take a lesson from that natural law and say, natural law implies that information should progress throughout times as, as quickly as possible and always be improving itself. Uh, that's kind of what we're seeing in evolution. Why do we have this system of writing these things down on paper, saying this idea is mine and it's not your idea. We should be trying to share these ideas as fast and as quickly as we can and mutate them mm. to see who finds the, the best thing. And I, I always look at this one. There's one artist. Um, what's his name? Gangnam Style. A PSY, right? That guy. He took a different approach to the market. He said, I'm not going to do all this licensing garbage. I'm just going to YouTube it and send it as far as I can. And, and he's a little hit because he did not take the IP path. He took the path of... Virality, mm-hmm. and I think that's what the message of liberty should should teach us.
0: Um, I believed for a long time because I had been taught this that there's no such thing uh, that there's absolutely no example of a positive mutation uh, that we know of. I was taught that for years and years and years, wow. and then I've discovered that that's such a ridiculous statement that it embarrasses me that I that I parroted that right, right, right. We, we, we mutate constantly, don't we? We do. We do. In fact, um, one of the more fascinating areas that we're um,
4: constantly mutating is our mitochondria. This is, the, this is the core of making our energy that makes ATP. It's a like genome acquisition. Our cells, two billion years ago, decided to merge with this archaea. And um, it, over time, transferred a lot of its genes into our genome, and now it's a simplistic 16,000 base pair piece of DNA that's inside every one of our cells, but it has 1,000 copies. But it's tenfold higher mutagenic rate, because it's like the energy factory of the cell. And those things change tissue to tissue. They change over time. They're probably involved in Alzheimer's disease and a lot of these age-related um, degen- degeneration diseases. Um, and those are, you know, you got 50 trillion cells, and they're different in every one of them. Uh, that's... That's one interesting you know, dynamic that's going on. And then there are the microbes in your body, and there's a hundredfold more genes that are microbial sitting on you. Mm-hmm. You, know, you might have a few more then. But, <laughs> <laughs> but there, there, there's a lot of DNA that's not human that, that makes you you. Yeah. And That's what baffles many people. And Those things are evolving at rapid rates. I mean, take some antibiotics, and you just blown out your gut flora, and yeah. you're probably going to replenish with the next thing you eat. And that's going to be responsible for probably... Uh, it's tenfold more microbial cells on you than human cells mm-hmm. are in you and on you. So, you know, you, you are in this sea of DNA that's constantly changing and moving. And, and uh, the direction it, it, it will always move is toward faithful replication with a little bit of air mm-hmm. so that so that there are ex- enough biological experiments for progress. And, uh, uh, you know, how, how this gets back to GMOs is that I, I have not actually done hard, just you know, looked at hard data between whether... Uh, you know, BT corn is good or bad uh, I, I've looked at that as a technology and one could argue Monsanto is in fact perhaps using it in a negative way but the technology I don't view as it's a wheel it's a tank or an ambulance, what do you want to drive mm-hmm. and, and that's, uh, that's where I think is missing in the discussion is a lot of people just want to be like ban GMO, it's Franken, get rid of it yeah. uh, and they don't have any data suggesting their alternative methods are any healthier uh, and you go to people in Africa and they'll say you ban this you're killing people uh, it's
0: and I find it kind of interesting too because my natural tendency was to say, Well, Monsanto's doing it, must be bad. You know, one yeah. plus one equals two. Monsanto's bad, they use the government to get done what they want, their product's got to be bad. But, um, if you look at it slightly differently, uh, I lost my thought,
4: Monsanto, and and the uh. The inherent whether there's an inherent. Uh, oh, I remember Yeah, right. yeah
0: okay. Um, really, the people that are against GMO food, in general, are wanting the government to pass laws against it. Uh, they're wanting to use the aggression of government to right, right, to to to, to,
4: yeah. to ban the people who are already in their back pocket. Like yeah, seems to be a,
0: yeah. and, and there are a lot of libertarians and anarchists and anarcho-capitalists that that are very um, very willing to say, yeah, we need a law to ban any research into doing this or, yeah. any, you know, that. It's, I, it's just intellectually lazy. lazy. Grow your own food. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's true. Best ban you can have. <laughs>
4: um, yeah, I, I, that's that's a tough one. Um, but, you know, I I, uh, I don't like the way they're using the hand of government and that they go sue farmers for right. pollen right. moving around the way it
0: does. I mean, that's, right. that's just... Uh, Clearly evil uh, tactics. Yeah,
4: and, to their, and they're probably justifying in their own mind that all businesses have to do this, this is the way you compete, and competition now has to leverage political connections, and you know, I can see how they can slide down that slope pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I feel myself almost sliding down that slope when I start thinking about, okay, I developed a method to get around 4,700 gene patents, and now the corporation who owns my, my my ideas wants me to patent it. What do I do?
1: Mm.
4: You know? And uh, those are... Uh, those are hard things to get your head around because there's there's definitely a great scale between how do you touch government? Do do you completely avoid it? You can't avoid the roads, right? Right. Do you accept social security?
0: Do you accept welfare? Right. Do you only wo- drink water out of a well you've dug?
4: Yeah. Right. Right. So I I uh, I, I know we've had some discussions on this as well and on on, on on voting. And I I be, thanks to you actually, I don't vote for anyone anymore. I did perhaps make the mistake of voting for medical marijuana. Because I was in my head thinking, this is defensive because um, I'm a person who could get uh, you know th- my pet shot and my door knocked down because of the signs I've done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know there's, there's, there's friends and families I know who are in the situation would actually need it. Uh, and uh, you know, I'm checking a box and a piece of paper to make this ridiculous rule go away, but I don't know the unforeseen consequences of that. What could happen is they could they could certainly legalize this but then say, well now you can have guns." Yeah. and they've done that, right? Mm-hmm. Or if you have this, uh, you can no longer take other psych meds, or other, or you don't get care or yeah. there's a lot of other repercussions that might come from the act of trying to get them to back off, and uh, you know the future there is yet to be seen. But um, I've not yet figured out that slope. Right, where it's going. I think it's just going to take time of reading and thinking through these things more carefully. But. Um, yeah,
0: clearly I'm using the roads I got up here. <laughs> right. Well, maybe when we get uh, – if assuming we can ever get a connection going between us and, and Stephen Kinsella, you know, I'm hoping somehow that he will have some thoughts or some ideas that he's been, you know, working yes, on yeah. that, that – uh, I'm very
4: interested in one – I did hear one podcast of his where, where uh, he was talking about um, – what's this copyright issue of uh, – it, it's an open um, – Open from a copyright and software code it's escaping my mind right now, but it's it's a Creative Commons license, right? Mm. Oh yeah. And you know he was making the point that well you can't just Creative Commons things because um, any day someone could remove that from their website and then it's no longer covered at that point in time and then you could be exposed to someone coming back to get you. So to, to really maintain freedom on here, it's, it's, you can't just create a Commons stamp things. And I want to love to talk to him about that issue with what we're doing in the cannabis genome because that was my exact fear: is we put it on Amazon and Amazon one day would take it down and the USPTO would miss it and then done, a bunch of patents would show saying we can't even work on it anymore mm. and and so our, our, our issue is here almost in, in like a Paulian way is that using government against government is, is awkward Yeah, you know that I, I you know we filed on this so that we can abandon it so it's in there and they'll never miss it but everyone's going to look at that saying what the hell did you do you yeah. patented pot genome you know, you're you know, that's why i here. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's a radio acceptable. Uh, yeah, thing, so. yeah.
4: That, that can go down as being, the, you know, the most sinister act in, in history. So I, I definitely don't want that uh, on my name. Uh, but uh, I do think right now that will, will the next 20 years, as the Patent Life uh, things will, will keep it out of nefarious hands and allow it, hopefully, for, for anyone to go and use and mm. use the data. But... Um, he might have a really interesting perspective on that because I've uh, only recently come to the realization that I think this whole IP thing is uh, is bunk. It's bunk aggression.
0: Yeah, and even on a practical, uh, even on a practical sense, if you like, like what you said about going into the patent office and stacks of papers, and oh, there's yeah. the government is so bad at doing everything that they do that even if this was moral, and if even if it was. You know, they would still mess it up, yeah. You know, oh, on, on a practical
4: sense, I, I had to go down there to defend a patent one time, and it's like going through a cat herder's house. You know, <laughs> there's just you're going through caves of paperwork that have been built up on every wall. And it, you know, this is funny because if business did this, OSHA would be in there, oh, yeah, you know, you know yeah. yanking the CEOs out and put them in jail. But at USPTO, it's just a total mess, <laughs> and um. And you get into the examiner's the office, and his office is like a cave, an igloo of paperwork. And he's in there with three cups of coffee. And, and I came to the realization that I actually, even though I think I convinced him that we had a novel idea, I don't think I needed to. I think I just need to occupy 30 minutes of his time. He would have been like, i got to count to the next patent, dude. <laughs> yeah, here, Go. And I'm like, this is a sham. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's just rubber stamping stuff, and then the courts spied out later. And I've been on the court side of it too, and it's ugly. I mean, I, I was in a case that was a, a very large, probably billion dollar case between two of the largest DNA sequencing companies out there, Illumina Life Tech, and I was uh, there was this very esoteric concept that they were arguing in court, and. It came down to some patents that we had to get around to get this thing to market, and this guy had a method very similar to ours. We didn't see it until after we put millions of dollars into it, and we found it buried in the USPTO. And a brilliant guy I worked with, this Caltech mathematician guy, Alan Blanchard, recognized that the way the patent was worded, uh, was, it was not very obvious in the patent itself. We had to dig into the file wrapper, which is this 500-page um, document that shows all the correspondence back and forth with the examiner, that those aren't even in the typical patents that you pull down. You have to go dig these out of... The archives down at the USPTO finds that there, what, what he had patented, the, the examiner cornered him in the position that he only had the patent if he read a single base every single cycle. So he had to read one base at a time. Now, he could do this in a billion different data points at once, but he was only making one measurement at a time. So this guy naturally says, All right, you want to read one base? I'm just going to read the relationship between two bases. And by doing that, I never actually read one base. I, read, I eliminate 12 out of the 16 possibilities of the dinucleotide, and then we're clear. So this goes to court, and it's a, you know, tens of millions of dollars on each side are fighting over this, and we have to explain to bus drivers, and, and uh, no offense to bus drivers, but people whose day-to-day lives do not talk about dinucleotide encoding frequencies, Right. right. And, uh, and
0: and with a judge who just learned how to use email last week. Exactly,
4: and and so this uh, luckily this all favored, it's all sided with us. But I left that thinking, that was a coin toss. Yeah, that was a multi-million dollar coin toss. The jury could have easily sided the other direction, and um, I wouldn't blame the jury one bit. I mean, this is. I think we had a we, we did actually technically have a nurse and a bus driver. Uh, one guy in um, a garbage truck, and like um, one guy was a professor, uh, and so there was a really broad spectrum of people in the jury. Mm-hmm. But it was random.
0: That's generally why companies like to avoid going to a jury. They'd rather settle outside of it. Yeah,
4: yeah, and that didn't happen in this case because it was too much at stake. And um, so yeah, I. I uh, you know, I was impressed actually, surprisingly, with the judge and how the judge took its time to try to educate the jury as best that he could, and that that left me with a little warm and fuzzy over government about five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, looking at it in hindsight, it's a uh, uh, it's slowing down innovation.
0: Mm. Is there anything other than you know voting? Is there anything that the listeners can do? to To help this process or to get involved in any way, you know, non scientific to help. Is there organizations that you know need attention or money or?
4: You know what? What I like I saw this week was actually quite favorable. Is I think uh, Mark Zuckerberg and Sergey Brin and a few others came out with an innovation prize that was like you know. It's a big one. It's like $3 million to whoever they think is making big uh, leaps and bounds in the sciences field to fund their work. Hmm. And it's things like that that allow people to think freely and not waste their time looking at patents. I mean, we we probably, in the medicinal genomics company, we probably spent half our money dealing with lawyers, right? That was extreme because it was such a politically charged question. But I'd say in biotech, it's probably 20 or 30%. Know, that, that, and if you don't have a patent, just goodbye. You're not getting funded by any VC. Yeah. Um, and uh, to the extent that there are charities like that that say, look, we want to fund innovation. That's, that's not focused on that. That's the wrong direction for innovation to go is to spend its, its ATP trying to navigate intellectual property loopholes. And mm. just say, what's the cure? Go for it. And put all this other stuff aside. And those, I think those types of organizations, um, I certainly want to try and support however I can because I think that's a good idea. Um, I've not yet figured out the solution uh, at sort of the libertarian level and, and what we can do other than I would encourage people to look at international laws because those are perhaps loopholes to these problems. Like, the, like what we did in Holland and what we did in, in Iceland, I think, is um, – I, know, I think five or six years ago, I would have been scared to do that, like start a business in a different country. Mm-hmm. And now that I've learned more about the state of this country and and the oppression that's here, I'm, I'm actually quite excited to look at okay. other examples of freedom. Like I, I, I was listening to this uh, Lou Rockwell um, cast yesterday that had the founder or CEO of Whole Foods on it. And oh, yeah he, yeah. he was talking about how we used to be first in, in economic freedom, and now we're 18th in a matter yeah. of 10 years. And I'm like, all right. Uh, this is not as risky as people think. Yeah. I mean, look outside your borders who could be doing business in other places and not have any of these things to be concerned about. And that's probably the only way to neutralize a state that gets out of control is that yeah. you hop to another one. Yeah. And
0: sort of the, I hate to quote uh, Ayn Rand, but you have to, at some point, uh, John Galt situation has to take place. And yeah, people, right, the, right. The, the, whether it's the money flowing away, the millionaires are moving out, the businesses are moving out, the intellectual uh, side of it is moving out, um, and they're leaving, boy, how do you say it politely? They're leaving the ones that are just living off the Independence. government. Independence, Yeah. Yeah.
4: And that itself blows. Yeah. I mean.
0: Yeah. Because all you have left is low-level workers and government employees and And essentially people who can't make a living for themselves because of health or education or whatever and the whole thing tumbles in on itself yeah that's a negative note to end a podcast (laughs) (laughs) it's It's not positive
4: it is positive in the light that Jeffrey Tucker is always very positive (laughs) in, in that The sciences and the innovation—you can't stop it. It's just—it's coming at us. It's coming at us, curse wild. It's coming faster and faster than we can ever imagine. And this state thing is just going to rust.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: And uh, the way we help it rust faster is to jump around it. And and that's what humans do. Humans are presented with a with a problem, and a lot of humans will just go, "Oh, there's a problem." I'll sit down. But there's a streak of humanity that says, "I will not accept the problem." Yeah, I will figure out how to unlock this lock, how to jump over this fence, how to how to dig underneath this problem, whatever it is, and fix it. And there's a desire among people uh, to 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 reward that kind of behavior, right, right. And that's the market. That's the magic of the market. It is, isn't it? Well, uh, Kevin, we're. Uh, I think it's getting louder and louder. So <laughs> yes. I think we're. It's a the probably. Good time. are coming, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a good time to break off the interview. I really do appreciate you coming on the show with me, though, and. And Maybe we can still get back and get um, uh, Stephen on the on the show. Yeah, and
4: a- absolutely, love to. That'd be great. Thanks for the time, Ben. And uh, we love love listening to your cast. They're very uh, very inspiring.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. And folks, uh, with any luck, I'll have more from the New Hampshire uh, Liberty Forum 2013. Thanks a lot for listening.